Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Friendly Podcast. Friendly is a design studio which started in England and now we stretch across the world in six different countries. If you want to find out more about our company, you can check us out at friendly.studio and there's a way for you to contact us right on the website. Today I'm very excited and pleased to have Vahid Josie on the Friendly Podcast. So Vahid, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I thought first thing, can you just kind of tell people really sort of who you are and what you've been doing for the last few years? For sure. It, it, it's hard to brand oneself and I'm, I'm not one to do personal branding a lot. Um, I'm generally a product manager. Um, I had a long stint in Ottawa where I was in school and I was also involved in tens of startups. Um, and I was told by uh, one of my mentors at the time that I need to stop founding stuff. She's like, you're in a founder hamster wheel and you just need to stop. And I decided at that point to be a product manager because product managers, in my opinion, is the closest job to a founder without founder risk. But you really need to have all the information, which just kind of feels nice. So I've um, I've been an investor. I've, uh, I've founded a lot of companies. Most of them failed. A few of them succeeded. Uh, a few of them exited. I was lucky enough to be a part of a few a uh, few exits, a uh, few local exits in Toronto as well. Um, generally, I love product, I love design, I love marketing. Um, it's it, anything that has a psychological, philosophical foundation to it when yeah. it comes to business really attracts me. Is it tough? You know, you said you have, you know, you've been involved in a number of startups. Is it tough, especially if you founded it and it doesn't work out? Is that tough on you sort of emotionally and mentally, or is it pretty easy to bounce back from that and say, okay, what's next? It's a great question. I think it's always very tough. Um, I don't think the how tough it is changes. I think how strong you are and how you can just click back into rationality and be like, hey, okay, this pain is going to go on and we knew this this might happen. So let's just go through the pain and recover and then do another one. I think you get you get better at managing the failure than controlling the emotion. I generally believe your emotions are hard to control. Um, one thing yeah. I tell friends and uh, friends and colleagues a lot is don't judge yourself on, on an emotion, on a feeling. You can't control those. That's just part of the human condition. Only the action and and decision afterwards are the things you have control over. I think one of the things that I love about, you know, from what I know, but the North American sort of startup culture is it's quite acceptable to fail. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you start something and you fail at it and and you move on. And I, I feel like it's it's really cool. I don't feel like at least from an outsider looking in, it doesn't seem like there's like a lot of shame and in fact I've sort of heard about some companies who almost look for like when they were looking for somebody they wanted to see that they had had that under their belt that they had actually had failures like companies that didn't work right but yeah I mean is there, is there a pretty big startup scene in Canada um, I'd like to say so yeah uh, well with the previous US administration and how unwelcoming it was 
to foreign workers and foreign investment and a lot of that stuff. Canada boomed. It uh, like Toronto became uh, became much more popular. A lot of companies moved up here just because there's a lot of talents. Um, I had quite a few friends and folks in the industry that we talked to that moved out of states to Canada because they, they always <laughs> they, the funny thing I hear is that this is uh, Canada's the upstairs neighbor to a meth lab that is like super <laughs> polite and super nice. So <laughs> Canada, in contrast, became uh, became attractive. Honestly, Canada is one of the best countries in the world. Like you know, yes. every country has its ups and downs and has you know. And you can always complain. You can always find a million things to complain about. But all in all, this is one of the better places to be. Um, in terms of opportunity availability, it's as saturated as it is in States. So before when we used to travel and there was hyper local aspects to, uh, to any, the, any dynamic like opportunities, we would, we would always say like San Francisco, New York, um, and then by like a higher margin, Seattle, like you want to, you want to go to those places if you're really, if you're really, uh, interested in startups, uh, for one way or another, I never made it down there, uh, to work. Um, I always stayed here or my family lives in Europe a lot. So like I was kind of active in, in Europe as well. The fun part with Canada is that all our services, all our um all the technologies available to us everything is kind of tied to america so you can be a yeah. canadian and have an american like the best parts of an american life have the american opportunity and still live a very nice life where people actually say hi to you you know on the street and they leave the like they keep the door open for you if you want to go and if your car is broken down on the side of the road just count how many people stop and just come yeah. up to you and say, are you okay? This is a really beautiful thing that Canada has. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm from Canada as well. And I was saying to you earlier, I've been living in England for the last 10 years. And yeah, I have so many people who say to me when they find out that I'm from Canada, they're like, oh man, Canadians are great. Every Canadian I've met has been so nice. I met you a few months ago. Uh, because we started working with your company, which is really cool, called Blackcart. And I wondered if you could tell people a bit about what Blackcart does. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll say first that it's been an absolute pleasure working with the friendly team. Um, I have multiple conversations with different, uh, multiple members from your team. And every time it's a delight. Oh, good. When e-commerce was booming, years ago. I, I, I sold an e-commerce company when I was a teenager and it was, it was a lot of fun. But then e-commerce looks very different than what it is now. The main thing that always had, always added friction to e-commerce was that fear of commitment to a product before you got to feel it, interact with it and get to know it. Yeah. This has always been the main, uh, the main barrier. And it's not actually a rational barrier. If you if you really want to dig into it, it's an irrational barrier. It doesn't doesn't make it any less serious and any less important. But it's not a rational barrier. You can still order something. It arrives at your place. You can tinker with it and be like, "Hey, I don't like this." And you can return it. So, technically, you can try stuff and then worry free return them. However, 
you have committed to that product. You have paid in full for that product. And returning a product you've already paid for feels like you're giving up on something, feels like you made a wrong decision. And you know, the feeling, the, the negative feelings rush in as well. This is a psychological thing. Yeah. Black Arts, our mission is to allow people to try, trust, and touch a product before they decide to buy it. We call this movement Try Before You Buy. I love it. <laughs> How this system works is you go to uh, a merchant, you go to their product details page, it might show up in a bunch of different places on their website too. You notice that beside the add to cart button, sometimes below, sometimes above, sometimes there is no add to cart button, you'll find a try before you buy button or try at home. Some merchants call it different things. At that point, you can add a few of those to your cart. Often you don't pay anything to try this, sometimes as a deposit. What ends up happening is you check out, you receive all these products at your place practically for free, and you, dis and you keep whatever you decide that fits you. We solve the fear of commitment to a product that, that comes to e-commerce and the worry of size, fit, and feel. There are a few other companies that have an overlap with us. So the Afterpays and Klarna's and the firms of the world. Yeah. Um, those solve for a sticker shock. I see this thing, I don't really want to pay this much for it, but hey, it's palatable if I break it down to three installments, I can do yeah. that now. You still don't know if you want to commit to that product though. You know what I mean? That's just a sticker shock. That's just the price being broken down. Yeah. That's something we're building as well so that we can also solve for that problem. But our main thing is you don't know if this pair of shoes uh, will fit you. There's a, a one of our merchants, it's called Koyo, K-O-I-O. And they've seen a lot of success from this from this program simply because a customer goes and looks at a pair, they don't know exactly what size fits them. So they yeah. might buy a different size, maybe two, three sizes at once, maybe a different color or a different whole style. And then we see that customers convert more, customers, uh, their average order value is larger. So they, they basically put more products in their shop and the merchants see that their net sales after after returns and uh, and everything has increased by about 30%. These are just the byproducts of customers, of shoppers getting a better experience that fits their expectations. Yeah, man, it's wicked, you know, to be able to <laughs> get things like, you know, sent to your house. And yeah, it makes so much makes so much sense. Uh, mm -hmm. my wife would be <laughs> all over this for sure. Yeah, she's always like wanting, wanting to get you know something like a, a shirt or a dress in different colors or different sizes. You know, because you just don't know how it's going to fit. They all fit a little bit different. So yeah, absolutely. man, I th I think your idea is absolutely brilliant, and your company's brilliant. So it's wicked. Thanks, man. I I can't take credit for it. Uh, our founder uh, and CEO Donnie. He started the company, it was, it was originally B2C, where you go to a shopper and say, hey, don't worry about committing to this thing. Buy it from us, we let you try it, and then you can return it. Um, he later realized that there is, there is an easier way to go B2B2C, where we, we sign up merchants, they embed our experience into their storefront, and then customers get the same benefit. It's, it's an absolute pleasure working with them, it's a delight. 
I want to tell you, I want to tell you the philosophy we have behind yeah. Shark Before You Buy. We help people develop a connection with the products they decide to associate with themselves. Consumerism taken to an extreme is you purchasing for the sake of purchasing, for the sake of accumulating. There are a lot of psychological factors that go into this that it makes you feel alive, it makes you feel powerful. There is a little uh, dopamine hits with every purchase, with every unboxing, with every putting on a new new shirt. You know, there is reward in there. And extreme consumerism, you're, you're almost addicted to that reward cycle. We want to battle blind consumers by you having to actually develop a bond with your product, with the product that you want to purchase. You yeah. will have to be deliberate about deciding to keep it. That should cause you, that should help you to make better decisions on what you want to keep and be deliberate about what you're accumulating. This is the philosophy behind Black Art. Yeah, cool. Now, I know that you're working with a number of, of big companies. I wondered if you could give us just any advice on how to interact well with those bigger companies, because I'm sure when you first started dealing with, say, say, a company like Levi's, there must be a part of you that's a little bit nervous. So how do you manage to relate to these bigger companies really well and you know, not look like a total fool? Great question. Every time we talk to some of these larger merchants, our imposter syndromes kick in and we're like, we're a bunch of kids trying to make this thing work. And here's this giant company really believing in us like, are we onto something? That imposter syndrome uh, spiral <laughs> is quite quite entertaining at times. Yeah, we have a we have a large number of merchants, and they're in a lot of product categories. We have uh, Helix and Birch mattresses. We have a merchant that sells golf clubs. We are talking to electronics manufacturers. We're talking to your favorite car manufacturers, and I have to tell you, these are all inbound. When it comes to enterprise ones. I've been in uh, enterprise sales quite a lot. Uh, at my time at Unada, we sold to large, uh, large grocers. At my time at DMAC Media, we, we sold to large and mid-market e-commerce companies. It's always been one of those, uh, one of those things that's like, who could pay you the most? Who would have the most pronounced need? It's usually the larger companies. I can tell you with all those uh, many times that I was uh, you know, across the table from them, it didn't make it easier. Always going in, you kind of intuitively see that in an enterprise company, there is a lot of moving parts. There are a million things moving and their dependencies across all of them. The thing I generally do in these, in these situations, and I'm still learning, I'm a student. The thing I generally do is what is certain? What is their need? Can we meet it? What is the energy in the room? Yeah, cool. Um, one of the last questions that I want to ask is, how do you keep things together on a personal level? You know, I'm sure your job, like so many other people's jobs, has a lot of stress and demand and pressure on at times. So I just kind of wondered, how do you sort of, you know, keep your personal stuff together so that you're able to function well when it is time to work? A few years ago, I realized the difference between anxiety and stress. I, th I always clumped them together as one thing. Anxiety being just a fear of uncertainty. Anxiety exacerbates stress. When it comes to stress itself, it's my stress is always a form of, here's, <laughs> I always say my plates has plates on it. It's not just stuff on my plate, it's other plates on top of my plate. 
and yeah. like I have to deal with the entire stack of it. Stress for me comes always in a form of all these things that I need to do that potentially can block others or can cause anxiety for others. Half of it for me dealing with stress is to just to communicate uh, and set expectations on when things can be delivered and their quality and their speed. Most of <laughs> the main thing I lean on in managing stress is I keep reminding myself that everything we'll, we're doing is a human-made game. Business is a game. <laughs> Money is literally gamification at mass. And wanting to be recognized like with titles and success and achievement is just us wanting to get on a leaderboard, this hypothetical leaderboard. So whenever I catch myself, you know, my stress is spiking, I'm like, okay, which game am I, am I stuck in? Can I pause the game? Can I just meditate for five minutes and chill on it? Yeah. That's, that's been helping. The balancing of personal and professional life, that is something that I just, I still don't have down. I'm lucky to, uh, to have an amazing partner and she's, uh, she's just a godsend. And we work a lot of things out. I was having this conversation with a friend last night and he asked me like, do you have date nights and do you plan things? What I told him was, I don't like to plan something that needs to be around uh, communal energy. If you have a date night planned, you are already in flow of something else. That is a hard shift. That is a block of whatever energy flow you had to be able to do something that is net positive. It's a beautiful thing to hang out with your family. However, because you had to cut your flow, and this is sometimes it doesn't happen, sometimes it does. Because you had to cut your flow, there is friction. There is negativity produced because you had to pull the brakes because you wanted to do something else maybe or continue to do something else. That sometimes generates resentment. So a lot of times if you if you have something planned, <laughs> you, you and your partner look at each other like, should we skip tonight? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh my God, they jump on it. So you're like, okay, there was some force against this. How I manage is, first of all, constant communication. So how are you feeling? How's it going? Do you want to hang out? Do you not want to? Do you have work? But sometimes my energy's my energy is super positive. I'm on a I'm on an upward trend. I'll I'll start hanging out. I'll I'll cook a meal and I can change the energy of the room. My girlfriend would do the same. Sometimes we're both up. Sometimes one of us is up. I can pull the other one up. Sometimes we're both down and we'd rather just you know read a book and be quiet or meditate or you know ride the uh, the streams of depression that that hits all of us. Yeah. There, I don't have a hard and fast rule. I'm, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm a surfer and I'm <laughs> surfing energy waves and whenever one yeah. comes, I'll take most advantage. And if it doesn't, I'll keep pedaling. Very, very cool. <laughs> uh, last thing I like to ask is I just like to give you a chance to tell people where they can follow you. You know, uh, you probably on some sort of social media. Is there any place we should go to kind of like follow what, what you're going to be up to? Um, on every digital service. I am Vahid Josie as one word. I'm Vahid Josie on Twitter, Vahid Josie on Instagram, even though I don't go on it ever. Um, I don't have TikTok. I, I would get addicted to it like no other. <laughs> I have, I'm diagnosed for ADHD yeah. and OCD. <laughs> so I get like very obsessively <laughs> distracted by things. Um, I, I don't do a, a great job uh, writing. So a lot of the stuff I have will be on Twitter. Um, one thing I can say is I'm always responsive 
to folks when there's there's something that there I can help with. Um, so if there's anything uh, for the listeners that you think I could I could be of help with, hit me up on Twitter, LinkedIn, or any other places, and would love to get to know you. Cool, Vahid, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Pleasure was all mine.